Chapter 5. The Mole. He's perfect. Ted Kaczynski was watching me from hell. He was taking notes, running projections, accounting for variables, making sure I fit his profile. He just needs a little nudge, Ted observed. Since it was Ted's idea to turn San Francisco red, the lead Dangel gave him the task of proving his theory. It was a challenge this mathematician at heart couldn't refuse. For assistance, Ted was given a DIT, or Dangel in Training, so to speak. A devil's apprentice, if you will. This DIT was a particularly naive entry-level thug. I don't know, said the clueless DIT. What's the matter? This guy, really? He's going to do the devil's bidding? I just don't buy it, dude. I think we need someone, you know, more evil. Ted sighed. He was in hell, literally and now figuratively. Ted had a short stint as a mathematics professor at UC Berkeley. His teaching evaluation suggested he was not well-liked. The students claimed he was uncomfortable teaching, taught straight from the textbook, and refused to answer questions. And now he was being asked to mentor a dim-witted DIT of inferior intellect. Ted stared blankly into the distance. Ted will go down in history as one of the worst American terrorists of all time, though it seems lately he gets a new challenger for that top spot every year. Ted killed three people over 18 years, which pales in comparison to Stephen Paddock, who killed 58 in one evening in Las Vegas. Nevertheless, Ted did evil things. But was he pure evil? When can someone be redeemed, forgiven? And who gets to decide? Um, Ted forced himself to answer. He has all the ingredients we're looking for. Anger, resentment, questioning his beliefs, doubting people. He's isolating himself. Soon he'll search for something to fill that void. And it's our job to help him find it. And what exactly is he going to look for? The DIT said. Boy, did this DIT have an utter lack of respect for Ted's genius. But Ted saw through him. He saw the DIT for what he was, a common bully, insecure, hard on the outside, empty on the inside. Well, Ted started teeing up his takedown. He'll look for the same things you did while you were up there, tormenting the very people you wish you could be. Ted cut the legs right out from underneath the DIT. Yes, it's true. People hate those they envy, the beautiful, the smart, the successful. They also fear those they see as different. It's in our DNA. Thousands of years ago, if someone showed up from an unknown tribe, they were deemed a threat. It's basic survival. All we need to do is tap into those traits we've yet to outgrow as human beings. And him? The DIT said with more appropriate subordination. He'll look for a new tribe, one that gives him affirmation, one that says, your hate is justified. Come with us. We're like you. And what tribe is that? I've got some ideas. As we speak, there are people gathering who will validate him, embolden him. And once he finds those birds of a feather, we'll nudge him yet further, tempt him to take some real action. 
Ted paused, because in the end, he'll believe it's for the greater good. Ted trailed off that distant gaze again. And what action is that? Ted broke his empty stare now. He peered at the DIT, through him. The abrupt change in Ted's demeanor hit the DIT with the force of a brick. Revenge, Ted said coldly. He'll look for revenge. Chapter 6, Idle Hands. I lost my job today. Nothing new. That's how we roll in the Bay Area. On average, we techies switch jobs every three years, willingly or otherwise. I was once fired twice in a six-month span and had three different jobs that year. I told this fact to a few distant friends I still kept in Ohio. They were horrified, saying that much volatility and rejection would have thrown them into a tailspin. But you get used to it around here. There's no loyalty. And it works both ways. There are people in Silicon Valley who will change jobs to get an extra $10,000 and better kitchen snacks. I think it's because most tech companies are a flash in the pan. They burn hot for a very short period while the executives are looking for an exit, IPO, or to get acquired by the big three, Amazon, Facebook, or Google. So very few are trying to build an actual sustainable business around here. And that does not lend itself well to stability. Ironic how the country calls us socialists out here on the left coast, while in reality this town employs a brand of ruthless capitalism that would make employees of the big three automotive companies back in the day blush. Many of whom are today's Trump voters. They had pensions, health benefits, and union protections. We have high rent, high debt, and zero job security. Being fired also meant I had a lot of time to fill. And as you know the saying about idle hands, it's the devil's workshop. I adopted poor habits. I drank too much at night, slept in too long during the day. I was alone since my friends were working and I had alienated my family after the election. So I turned to social media during the day to keep me company. What could go wrong? You can find anything on the internet. Can't get laid, hate women? Internet has a group for you. They're called involuntary celibates or incels. Want to join a terrorist group, make a bomb, shoot up a school? Dig deep enough and you'll find someone waiting on the other end with an extended hand. The internet seems made for miserable people who, as we know, are said to love company. I was only unemployed a week before I started poking my nose into dark corners of chat rooms. Started as just curiosity, I wondered, are there others like me? But to answer that question, I first had to ponder another question. Well, who am I? It's a funny question to ask oneself. Who I am today may be quite different tomorrow in a month or a year, depending on circumstances, perceptions, externalities. It's not even the right question to ask. The better question would be, who do you think you are? For in reality, we see ourselves differently than how others see us. I don't dare to venture to guess at which is more accurate. But I asked the question anyway as I stared at a blank Google search bar ready to take me anywhere. Who am I? I typed in, I hate Trump. 
My next seven days were filled with a steady diet of vitriol from like-minded haters. I could use another word than haters to give the illusion of something more dignified. I could say malcontents, dissenters, resistors, rebels. Oh, rebels, that's a good one. But in the end, we all came to this place for one purpose, to hate on Trump voters and to shame them. No one was interested in constructive solutions out of this mess. And that's precisely what made us haters. We were single-minded and impenetrable. One guy in the chat room, in his lust for revenge, took a digital copy of his high school class photo which contained his entire graduating class sitting on the bleachers. He had superimposed a red T atop the faces of each classmate he suspected of voting for Trump based on their Facebook posts. He said in his thread, I want their children and grandchildren to know someday that their dear old Grandpa Salvador supported the biggest fraud in history. I found the comments from my liberal compatriots to be rational, well-articulated. Their arguments resonated with me because, well, it's what I thought, too. There were no counter-arguments from Trump sympathizers, so I never actually got a different perspective. Actually, I, I take that back. There were trolls inside these message boards, the hardest core Trump supporters coming not to educate, but to feed on liberal tears. They were the worst lot, and we painted them as the only lot. I began recognizing the regular commenters. I became familiar with their avatars and names in the comment sections of NPR and The Atlantic. Most of the time, I skipped the entire text of the article and just went straight to the threads to see what my peeps had to say. I didn't give a shit about the actual paid authors who had to adhere to journalistic integrity and pander to the standards of their editors and advertisers. I wanted the gritty truth, unfiltered. And then it all stopped. Both publishers, NPR and The Atlantic, removed their comment sections completely, disappearing overnight, killed off. The reason? Here's Jeffrey Goldberg the chief editor of The Atlantic, quote, Over the years, robust conversation in The Atlantic comment section has too often been hijacked by people who traffic in snark, ad hominem attacks, even racism, misogyny, homophobia, and anti-Muslim and anti-Jewish invective, Goldberg wrote. Instead of hosting these sorts of unhelpful, even destructive conversations on The Atlantic, we are choosing now to elevate respectful, intelligent discourse and argument. So often a small group of knuckleheads can ruin the fun for everyone. Many other publishers followed suit. Reuters, Chicago Sun-Times, The Daily Beast. And which publications do you think kept comment sections even today, many years later, seemingly inviting this level of hate? You guessed it. FoxNews.com. Despite the shutdown of our favorite hangouts, the wheels were set in motion. With a little sleuthing, I was able to find my favorite commentators, while some of them found me. We connected first on Facebook, 
Then we exchanged cell phone numbers. Eventually, we found other online places to voice our frustrations. And then one day, I got a text. Let's meet. I have some friends I'd like to introduce you to. Project 46. Project 46 was the alias this person used in the comments sections. I was quite familiar and impressed with his or her opinions, which often received the most likes. Hmm, would you look at that? I was making friends. Why not? I texted back. It wasn't like I had anything else going on. Chapter 7, TED Talk. His conditioning is going well. Ted observed as I consumed a steady dose of hatred through chat rooms. Conditioning, thought the DIT. He didn't know what Ted meant. His first thought was, does Ted mean like shampoo conditioning? But the DIT had learned around Ted Kaczynski it was advisable to think first before opening one's mouth. Seems his conditioning was going well too. Ted was a lifelong student, even in death. That's what separates smart people from non-smart people. It's not the capacity to learn that matters, it's the desire, a curiosity. And Ted loved discovering new twists and turns of the human experience. Conditioning was his latest pet project. Have a seat, Ted said to the DIT. His tone was almost gentle, even caring. In life, Ted was a recluse, disliking people and teaching. Was he softening in hell? You see, we're all conditioned one way or another. Our environment shapes us. For example, how do you suppose people find religion on earth? Ted asked. Um, they go to church and read about God? Mm, partly, Ted replied encouragingly. The majority of devout believers were spoon-fed a particular sect at a very early age. Their parents and their parents' geography dictated their given religion, not chosen. That's an important distinction. If those children had been born under different parents in a different part of the world, well, logically, they would have adopted a different belief. It's quite laughable when you think about it. When a proud parent proclaims over social media, today is a truly great day. Little Timmy has accepted God into his life. Ted paused to laugh, an actual real laugh, a rare sight indeed. Little Timmy didn't have a choice. It's not as if he studied several religions and picked the one that was most plausible. Seven years old, little Timmy doesn't even have the capacity to understand how the sun rises and sets. Fact is, little Timmy was railroaded. Little Timmy has been indoctrinated. The DIT nodded in understanding. That's conditioning, Ted said, a matter of factly. And it's how we're going to shape Toledo, Ted said of me. People are malleable when they're vulnerable and rigid when they are firm. The DIT was beginning to understand why Ted targeted me. It had less to do with being evil and everything to do with being pliable. Ted was molding me, and it was only the start. Ted continued the lesson. Look, if you really want to graduate beyond DIT someday, there are some basics of human behavior you should understand. I do, Ted, I do, said the DIT, eager now to please. A bond was forming between the two, a truly tender moment in hell. Okay then, Ted said. 
Ted closed his book titled 20 Ways to Propagate Evil by Roger Ailes and instead, for the first time, just tried to have a regular conversation with the lad. There are some fascinating experiments done in the area of psychology that provide clues to influencing people, Ted started. His enthusiasm captured the DIT's attention. The DIT sat at ready, preparing to take handwritten notes, his first ever. Here's one conducted by John B. Watson and Rosalie Rayner in 1920 at Johns Hopkins University. It's called Little Albert Experiment. Coincidentally, it was considered to be one of the most unethical psychological experiments of all time because, well, it tormented poor baby Albert. The experimenter set out to prove they could condition a child to develop an irrational fear. It began by placing a white rat in front of the infant who initially had no fear of the animal. Little Albert loved the animal, in fact, played with it, pet it. The researchers then produced a jarring sound by striking a steel bar with a hammer every time little Albert was presented the rat. After several pairings, i.e. when the noise and the rat were introduced simultaneously, the boy began to cry and exhibited signs of fear every time the rat appeared in the room. Remind you of anything? Ted asked the student. By the expression on the DIT's face, Ted could tell he wanted to admit something, but felt ashamed. It was almost endearing, given the context. It's okay, Ted encouraged. You're already in hell, son. Okay, then I admit, the DIT started. I believe Trump when he said Mexicans coming across the border were rapists and criminals, and that they were responsible for bringing drugs and crime. It's not your fault. Not entirely. You were conditioned. It happens to us all at every stage of our lives. And besides, Ted continued, there's really no such thing as free will in this world. What's free will? Asked the DIT. Ted considered the question. Mm, we should probably stick with the basics, he said. For the time being, let's just revel in the influence of leaders and how their words and actions can shape an entire country. Combined with Fox News, Trump's main surrogate, together they can make people believe irrational fears, just like baby Albert did. Um, are you saying that Hillary Clinton didn't have a staffer murdered? The DIT was referring to Seth Rich, a Clinton staffer who was killed in an apparent mugging, but right-wing conspiracy theorists, including Sean Hannity, claimed he was actually murdered by the DNC for leaks to WikiLeaks. Precisely, Ted responded, not exactly answering his question, but rather affirming the conclusion of his study. Another important study that is relevant to our objective was conducted in 1954 at the University of Oklahoma. The researchers at the University of Oklahoma assigned 22 11 and 12 year old boys from similar backgrounds into two groups. The two groups were taken to separate areas of a summer camp facility where they were able to bond as social units. The groups were housed in separate cabins, and neither group knew of the other's existence for an entire week. The boys bonded with their cabin mates during that time. 
Once the two groups were allowed to have contact, though, they showed definite signs of prejudice and hostility toward each other, even though they had only been given a very short time to develop their social group. To increase the conflict between the groups, the experimenters had them compete against each other in a series of activities. They created even more hostility, and eventually the groups refused to eat in the same room. The DIT looked excited. It's just like the Starbelly Sneetches, the DIT said, referring to a Dr. Seuss book of his childhood. Or Lord of the Flies, Ted said, fighting back condescension. The DIT didn't hear him, lost in one of his few childhood memories. Best Sneetches on the beaches. They were so clueless. Yeah, clueless, Ted replied. Moving on. Now just think what would happen if we added a bit of real scarcity to the mix, like fewer jobs, limited resources, or difficulty finding a mate. Yeah, the DIT said, the light bulb flashing again. I still can't see how all this is going to flip him from Democrat to Republican, though. Ted smiled, all in good time. You're focused too much on all the ways he is different from Republicans. You see someone who is educated, professional, and an urbanite. It's a common mistake. Seeing differences is the default setting in humans. And lucky for us, too. It's vital to our work down here. What you fail to see are all the ways he's very similar to you. So how is he the same? I don't want to ruin the surprise. Look, there he goes now. He's attending his first meeting. Let's just sit back and watch his metamorphosis. All right. Can I at least make some popcorn? Sure, Ted Gazinski replied. Just go easy on the butter.